the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's I on Real Estate on AM 970. The answer. AM 970 presents I on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. All right, everyone. So we're back. We're, we're on the second half of the show, and Dottie had to run. She's in the Hamptons uh, attending a couple of events. So myself and Steven, we're going to talk to you guys about the, the marketplace, what you should know about the marketplace, and how to best prepare yourself. So we were in the middle before the break discussing how to actually stay competitive um, in an in a, um, environment where there's so many bidding wars. Um, going on with low inventory. So one of the things that the bank at Citizens Bank has created is a lock and shop so that you can actually go ahead, submit your documentation prior to actually finding a home so that once you do find that dream home of yours, you're able to go ahead and have a commitment letter, show the seller and the realtor and get and get approved and hopefully get your offer accepted, right? So one of, one of the beauties that you can do is you have 30 days to lock in your rate and then you have another 60 days to close. So in total, it's a 90-day program. Obviously, with inventory being so low, folks are, are looking and looking and trying to find that perfect home. But the bank is allowing you to lock in early, early get your documentation underwritten and getting the, the commitment letter ahead of time and then utilizing that commitment letter to go ahead and and win a bid. So I don't know if you have any comments on that, Stephen, but that's a really popular um, product that folks are utilizing today. Obviously, the only risk is if you don't find a home in, in the next 30 days, then that lock um, could expire uh, within the total 90-day um, period time period. So, But great, great program if you have a property that you're somewhat um, looking to put a bid on. And, um, you know, again, you can lock in without having an address associated with the, uh, the program. So, but Steven, yeah, any, think, any thoughts? I think it's yes. a great, I think it's a great program. I think it's helpful. I mean, part of the process and, and problems is right. You can't it, just from when you find a property, you don't instantly sign a contract. There's due diligence, there's information Correct. that has to go back and forth and buyers need to organize their deposit and. And it doesn't mean the seller signs the same split second that you sign. So having tools that gives you options uh, is absolutely critical to not only giving you certainty, but helping you win the day um, in, in getting that transaction into contract. Yeah. And, and, and if you're listening now, you know, we want this to be as interactive as possible. So give us a call at 866-970-9622. 
and ask any questions that you want as it pertains to real estate. We want to hear from you guys. We want this to be beneficial. So please call in. Great. Thanks. And, and, you know, I wanted to talk about something, some new laws that went into effect really in the last 30 days, and they're going to be rolling out over the next year or so as well, that really affects the real estate industry, both from a property owner, from a running a business, um, and then also from a consumer point of view here in New York City. Um, There are a couple of laws like this around the country, but really, this is now the biggest jurisdiction and really, I think, a trend line that's going to really impact um, the real estate industry. So the first is New York City's biometric privacy law, and this law impacts businesses that are collecting certain information, which I'll explain in a moment. And then the second law that I'm going to get to is the Tenant Data Privacy Act, which really goes into effect starting tomorrow. Um, but certain owners of buildings are allowed about a year and a half till January 1, 2023 to fully implement it, depending upon some facts and circumstances. So what are we talking about here and what are we concerned about? You know, as we look in our society, things are becoming more and more digital. And this was already a trend. And I think under COVID, that really got accelerated. I mean, it's amazing right now If you go into Grand Central and all of a sudden you want to take the subway down to Wall Street, you don't need to get a token. That's been out of date for years. You don't even need to get a MetroCard, although you can still get it for now. You can literally take your phone and have a tux to turnstile without even pressing a button, and you can go right through. And that's part of getting this more digital society. And as part of that, and as part of certain changes in technology as we go from 4G to 5G, is the use of not just your phone and apps, although that is covered by some of these laws and I'll get to, but also what we call biometric information. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about facial recognition, right? Anyone has a new smartphone, instead of typing in a password if they want to protect it, they can have the phone look at them in the face and it'll open up. And you can use that to confirm payment systems. Well, if we're using biometric information like facial recognition or a fingerprint to have access, that is really becoming critical information that we need to safeguard. If that's sort of the key to the castle to get in and access your phone and banking information and identity theft, then we need to really make sure that that's protected. And so New York City um, passed a law earlier this year, which went into effect a couple of weeks ago. It, uh, relating to certain commercial establishments protecting and notifying about how they're acquiring and addressing your biometric information. So first off, this doesn't apply to banks. So uh, Ace, you don't have to tell anyone to do anything different at work. Um, it has, <laughs> but it does affect it does affect food and drink establishments. So keep that in mind for people in the restaurant business. Uh. And, it, and it even goes so far that a food and drink establishment is even a push cart. So literally, not just a fancy restaurant, but even the hot dog vendor, if they had facial recognition, it applies to them as well. So this is pretty wide law that's going to affect a lot of businesses. It's going to affect entertainment. So if you're using these uh, devices to go see a basketball game at Madison Square Garden or go to a concert or go um, into the theater as Broadway continues to come back, it's going to apply over there. So what's supposed to happen? Well, besides protecting this information, 
these businesses need to promote and have signage to demonstrate um, what they're doing. They need to let people know that actually this information is being collected and it is now illegal for any of these establishments to sell this information, trade this information, exchange this, get anything of value um, out of this information. And if they, if they actually violate the rule, a person has to send them a notice and the establishment has 30 days to resolve. And if they don't resolve it, then they can be fined anywhere from $500 to $5,000 per incident. And on top of that, an individual has a private cause of action. That means an individual who believes they're harmed can bring the case. They don't need a government agency. And this is the real expensive kicker. Any legal fees or expert witnesses or other litigation expenses incurred by that person that's harmed to bring the case are also the responsibility of the business. So a business might say, you know, not that I want to, you know, have a problem, but a $500 violation is not going to be the end of the world. Well, you could be hit with a twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 bill on top of that. So this is something that businesses need to look at very, very carefully. And also, we have a lot of businesses that are using apps as well. What are the agreements between a restaurant and not that I'm picking on any company, I'm just using them as an example, a Grubhub? They're collecting this data. Who's responsible? Is it the app provider? Is it the restaurant? Does the restaurant even have the capability? I mean, could you imagine somebody with a push cart selling hot dogs and saying, I want to be modern and accept another payment system, all of a sudden somehow gets wrapped up into this. So it's really important that um, businesses have a good understanding as to what's going on and, and really understand when they're taking this information um, as to what kind of rights and obligations that they have. Well, Stephen, I can now, tell you, you know, during your, um, your discussions here, uh, you know, I have, I have a whole bunch of questions um, just because we're going to the age of digitization to make things easier, right? And you have companies like Google and Facebook and Instagram where um, that has been an issue in terms of privacy. And now um, with this new um, law coming out in policy, you know, I, I know there's governments that are demanding. I, I think during the break, um, I heard a commercial st stating that some governments are are requiring Google to share some of that information. So it's interesting to see, you know, how people will feel about privacy issues, things of that nature. And you know, in, in a world of social media, in a world of you know, just putting a lot of your information online to make things easier, it also hurts you as well, right? So. There's um, this, I, I think this discussion will continue to be very fascinating. Um, it'll be very interesting um, go forward, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tale of two, of, of two stories, right? One is to make life easier for consumers, but it could also hurt you as well. So it's very, very interesting um, as we see things play out um, in the future and, and as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's so many different issues with data collection data storage, data transmission, and data Correct. deletion policies. And, yep. and these all tie up. And, it, you know, and, and you have different parties with different sizes and capabilities. And, you know, bringing it back to the real estate side of it, you know, this is another thing to think about 
regarding liability, insurance, and leases, right? So if you're signing a lease with a restaurant and both the tenant and the landlord should be concerned and say, wait a minute, I have my security system as a landlord. My tenant also maybe has their own security information. Maybe they're gather gathering this data. I wanna make sure if I'm a landlord that I'm not gonna get fined because the tenant didn't have good signage and the tenant's gonna say, well, wait a minute, all I do is I run my little restaurant and I could have a situation where the landlord has a camera, I didn't warn them and now I'm I responsible. And so this is definitely something where you know, you know, people so many times say, oh, you know, you're just doing real estate. But to do real estate, you need to understand contracts and tax law and you need to understand building code. Well, now you need to really understand technology, too, because you're missing a point if you're not addressing this in your commercial lease for any retail establishment. Really critical. No, that's great. That's great, Stephen. Um, again, you know, for for our listeners. Our number here is 866-976-9622, so please give us a call. I also wanted to talk a little bit about, Stephen, now that we're talking about you know, data and, and the market and, and what's going on, you know, in, in regards to bidding wars, you know, a lot of folks are, are always thinking it's either cash or t- taking out financing, um, and, and they have to choose between the two options, right? Whether you have, you have a cash offer or you're taking out a loan, and obviously taking out a loan, it's going to take a little bit longer. There's the commitment letter that you need to deal with. There's the appraisal, and all of the other nuances that come that comes with getting a loan. Now, I wanted to tell our our listeners out there that if you're a buyer and you're competing with multiple offers, and the seller wants an all cash offer to be a little bit more competitive. You do, you do have the option to, to submit an all cash offer, but at the same time, uh, apply for a refinance, what we call a technical refinance or delayed financing. And literally the day after you close or a couple weeks after you close, you'll get, um, a refinance so that you can get your capital back. So if you're looking to really be competitive, stand out in terms of the offer offers that you're that you're about to um, give to, to your realtor, what you can do is pull together um, some money, um, make it all cash offer, and then after the transaction is closed, you can actually go ahead and um, apply for the refinance at the same time and get some of that capital back literally the following day or the, or the next couple of weeks after you close. So it's a very, very popular product that not many people know of, Stephen. So I just wanted to make sure that our listeners are informed and that they know that they still have options as well. And, and it's all about being creative in this marketplace, right? It's, it's about having a couple of options in your arsenal to really uh, make sure that you put your offer and you put your best foot forward, you know, when looking at, purchasing a home, especially in an environment where it's so competitive in today's marketplace. You know, that's really great advice. It's helpful. I've seen that make the difference in in a bidding war. And I want to stress one other point. If you want to take the home mortgage interest deduction, if you look closely in the tax code, it says it must be, quote, acquisition indebtedness. Um, But what's interesting is the IRS interpretation of the English language doesn't match the dictionary. So the most common one is you get a mortgage simultaneously when you close. However, you are allowed a window post-close 
that if you buy all cash and then you do this technical or cash recoupment refinance, as they just described, it still is considered as part of the acquisition, and you can still get that home mortgage interest deduction. So it is a great product, not only winning the bidding war, but it preserves the buyer's ability to still get that important tax deduction. But but there are some timing restrictions, so it's important that you go with a reputable institution and with the loan officer knows what they're doing, so that way they can meet the timing requirements so you still save that big, important tax deduction. Um, and I think, Ace, in that vein, we have uh, Vivian from Manhattan. Yes, we have some, some callers. And we also have Jack from Hackensack as well. So, What's good, Vivian? Vivian? Yep. Hi, Vivian. I think you'll be able to answer my question as well. I listen to you every week and very informative. Hello? Thank you very much. Thank you. We're here. Thank you so much, Vivian, for saying that. Please ask your question. Okay. My question is, um, is it okay to ask a real estate broker to lower his fee? And are you asking as a buyer or as a seller? As a seller. He, came, he showed as my a seller. Yes. And I, was, I didn't make any kind of well, contract with him. Okay, so first let me give a little bit of background so I can explain how things work for all of our listeners and we can talk a little more about your specific case. The way New York typically works uh, in Manhattan is that there is a signed exclusive brokerage agreement. That is typically how it is done between a seller and a brokerage. And in that agreement, it says how much the seller would pay the broker. Um, and it talks about whether they're the sole broker or if they co-broke, meaning when a buyer also has their own broker, how that commission is paid. So that is the typical case when someone uses a broker. But Vivian, you just said in your case, you had no written agreement whatsoever. Is that correct? No, no. only oral. And I would like it in writing because I would like uh, for the broker to state, you know, what his uh, fee would be in writing. I think this is very important, and, and the comment I'm going to make is both to consumers and also to the many real estate uh, brokers and sales associates who are out there. For the protection of everybody, brokerage agreements should be in writing. People should definitely know how much they're being billed and also how much they're making, because what happens is the way this industry usually works is that unless if there's a transaction that's consummated, a commission is not going to be paid. So the right way to handle things is that there should be an agreement between the broker and the seller so everyone knows how much they're being paid or how they're going to be paid. And also the seller should absolutely know what that commission is. And I would recommend um, that before you sign any contract with a buyer that you have this sorted out because the typical mm -hmm. way a New York City contract works it says the seller is obligated to pay a broker pursuant to whatever agreement. 
And now, of a sudden, if you sign a contract with a buyer before you have the terms of that payment worked out with your broker, you now have a legal obligation with your buyer, and then you have a real question mark with this broker. And, and you really don't want to be caught up in that. So I would definitely recommend you know, having a, a conversation, and it should be in writing. And also, unless if that broker is an independent broker with their own company, then it's also typically signed by that agent and also their manager or some other authorized party at the broker. Steven, I think... It could be the last year you paint. Get Rhino Shielded. Talk to my friend Susan at Rhino Shield to find out about this unique process. Rhino Shield is a ceramic coating that seals your house or building. Looks just like paint. It's sprayed on. It bonds completely to wood, to brick, to stucco, aluminum block, or vinyl. Rhino Shield comes in any color you want. It has insulating qualities, soundproofing qualities, and it is guaranteed for 25 years to never chip peel or mold call susan at rhino shield today for a free on the spot estimate at 877-744-6608 877-744-6608 it's 877-744-6608 for a free on the spot estimate or go to rhino shield of ny.com susan is offering no payments no interest financing for one year rhino shield it's not paint Craving that signature Sunday sauce? Michaels of Brooklyn will make your place a must. Join Michaels of Brooklyn Sauce of the Month Club. Receive a different jar of Michaels of Brooklyn pasta sauce, homemade pasta and biscotti each month for six months. Make your home the place to be with Michaels of Brooklyn signature fresh marinara right in your home. Visit michaelsofbrooklyn.com and order online. That's michaelsofbrooklyn.com. Michaels of Brooklyn, serving the community since 1964. How did Joe Piscopo start your morning? Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, Governor Murphy, President Biden, they should go out in force with the police behind them and say, we support the blue. We support law enforcement. This is non-negotiable. We're not defunding the police. We support the people who are putting their lives on the line. I stand with these men and women behind me. I dare a politician to have the guts to do that. Listen to Piscopo in the morning on AM 970. The answer. Is it time to push reset and get away with God? Christian travel creates purposeful pauses to discover the most scenic, sought after destinations while you immerse yourself in the wonder of God's creation. As you travel alongside the world's top Christian leaders, every step of the way will revive your faith and awaken your sense of wonder. Imagine morning devotions on the deck of a cruise ship as you pass towering Alaska glaciers or tropical Caribbean islands. Perhaps you're longing to set foot in the very places where Jesus walked and taught in Israel. Every day on a Christian cruise or tour brings you the new vistas while you enjoy uplifting music and powerful messages. Get away with God in a faith-focused journey, and the unforgettable memories you create will refresh you long after you return home. For more information, visit inspirationcruises.com or call 800-247-1899. That's inspirationcruises.com or call 800-247-1899. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. 
Uh, welcome back, everyone. Again, I'm attorney Stephen Ebert from the law firm of Casson & Casson. I'm here with my co-host, Aswatana Suparp with Citizens Bank. We were just speaking with Vivian of Manhattan, talking about the importance of making sure the agreements are clear and that we, with our real estate agents, and making sure that that's done before we go into contract. But Manhattan is also a little bit of a different market than other parts of the country. Manhattan doesn't really have a typical what we call MLS, multiple listing service. It's a system in which the residential brokers are really part of one combined resource where both brokers and even consumers can go to see listings. Now, this is a little bit unique to other parts of the world compared to other parts of the world. For example, um, in the United Kingdom, there isn't really a multiple listing service in the same way, and each brokerage has their own uh, set of listings. So consumers looking at buying or renting properties uh, in the UK would actually go to the specific brokerage house, see theirs, and have to go company by company as opposed to one unified service. Now, there's been a, a, some litigation surrounding this, uh, exactly this MLS system, and by competitors, um, and they've been trying to accuse the MLS of not being competitive. And so what we want to do here is just analyze the case. We, we do not represent any party. Um, we're not picking a, a side on this, but we just want to let consumers know what are some of the top issues that we see in the real estate industry around the country. So there was a firm uh, out in California called PLS.com. They're trying to have an alternative listing service called Pocket Listing Service. And, and Pocket really goes back historically in the real estate brokerage industry where somebody literally had some private listings literally physically in their own pocket. So that's what they're taking the name from. And they've tried to make the argument that it's anti-competitive on behalf of real estate brokerages having to follow the local MLS rules, having to post things. Like, for example, one thing that the MLS rules have is that within 24 hours of an update, you have to post it of a property being listed, of an accepted offer or going into contract or closing. And they tried to make the argument that this was anti-competitive. They... The MLS system and the National Association of Realtors, NAR, won the first case at the district court, the trial level, and then on appeal, um, the matter is still being actively discussed. What's interesting is the Justice Department chimed in because what was interesting in the first round of the case, it was talked about from the perspective of is it competitive for real estate brokers? But the case really didn't talk about is it competitive for the end consumers, the buyers and sellers. So in the second round, that's also become part of the topic of discussion. So I think it's an absolutely fascinating case. Um, it gives a sense of how business is done and, and, and what is out there and also the changing role of really technology. And that seems to be a little bit of a theme today of how listings get out there because how people are getting information have the ability to actually see property, the ability to have um, drones do a video um, from above, you have the ability to actually to have interactive walkthroughs from a distance. This is part of that theme that we've been talking about on this show for some time 
of an acceleration of technology in how real estate transactions occur around the country. And this case is just one example of many in which how the market and information is being redefined and how transactions happen. So we're going to keep an eye on this case. We'll see what kind of repercussions it might have. But it's also interesting to note that real estate is the most local thing. And you see this one case in California, and you see the situation of Vivian. And because of the unique nature of the two different markets, those situations either occur or wouldn't occur because of how the deals are structured. That's interesting, Stephen. Wow. <clears throat> so, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's really it's really fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, I, I, know yeah. there was, I know we're getting close to the last part of the show, um, and we had a couple more topics that we want to make sure that we covered. Um, Ace, I know you wanted to cover another key yeah. point about the current financing market. Definitely, Stephen. So we've been talking a lot about how buyers can separate themselves from the competition, but you know now we want to kind of transition that. And if you're on the seller's end, because we don't, we never want to leave anyone out here. Um, here's a couple of tips that I think um, sellers should be thinking about. Right, uh, number one is overpricing. I know this is a very, very difficult conversation because every seller wants to make sure that they're not leaving any money. Um, on the table, but if you're if you're pricing your home that's overpriced, and other and other buyers are making bids and making offers on other homes, you may be losing a huge opportunity there. And there's a saying that you can't lose what you don't have, right? So overpricing is a is a classic example of this. And while your home sits on the market with a higher price, buyers are making offers on the competition, and that, that's more reasonably priced. So just think about. Um, working with an agent, looking at comps in the area, sales comps in the area, and make sure that you're priced competitively. And sometimes you may even want to price a little bit lower than the competition to create that bidding war, right? So it's all psychology at the end of the day. So that's the first tip that I would give our listeners. Um, lacking preparation, meaning just decluttering your home, making it in showable condition, working with possibly a staging company to really make sure that you know you're you're putting your best foot forward uh, when when you're showing your your property to potential buyers right you don't want to have clutter you want to clean everything up you may want to rearrange your furniture to make the space look a little bit bigger so things of that nature third making it difficult to show so if if let's say there's certain restrictions and there's certain certain availability times that you can't show the home um, whether you know, you have, you know, kids in the home or things of that nature or a pet that you need to have someone watch while you're at work could really, really hinder um, the amount of of folks coming and, and looking at your home. And number four, probably the best, um, I would say, suggestion that we have here on the show is don't be at the showing because sometimes even, you know, you can be a little emotional or you could be hovering over the buyer and it just makes it a little uncomfortable. If they make certain comments that you may not like about the apartment, you may have something to say about it. So just, um, you know, do yourself a favor. Don't be um, at the showing while the buyers are in there. And I'm sure most realtors, if you're working with them, they'll also give you that advice as well. And number five, not disclosing or, or denying any repairs. You want to be as transparent as possible. 
um, to the buyers because that could ruin a deal at the 23rd hour. Make sure everything is disclosed. Most buyers are okay with, with as-is conditions in today's marketplace, um, knowing that inventory is low. So, you know, again, just make sure that you are disclosing any repairs or any damages that's needed for the buyer to, re- to resolve. And number six, you know, never, never, never um, step over dimes to save nickels, right? Meaning, you know, if there is a refrigerator or washer and dryer that needs some repairs and the buyer wants you to take care of that, you know, make sure that all of those conditions are in working condition. You never want to penny pinch and, and not look at the overall um, deal itself. And last but not least, um, putting unreasonable conditions on the sale. Right, you want to make it hopefully as flexible as possible for the for the buyers in terms of closing timelines, things of that nature. So just make sure that you're, you're taking all of these into account, and hopefully it'll help you uh, down the line when looking to sell a home. So, Stephen, I don't know if you have any comments, but these are the seven major tips that I would give a seller. We've been talking a lot about our buyers and what they can do to kind of separate themselves from the competition. So I just wanted to make sure that we don't leave out the sellers for our listeners that are looking to sell their homes as well. You know, that's, it's a great point. Um, actually all seven points are really great one. And I completely agree. And I think it's really a matter of psychology. It, it really you know, is. Property, you know, yeah, the property has been the home of the seller for so many years and they need to transition when it's being sold to say, my home is now moved. Now I'm selling my house. I'm not selling my home. And they, and that will really, and they need to understand that it's, yes, it's personal, but it's a business transaction. And the really successful sellers make that psychological transition that I'm selling a home, you know, a house, not my home. Um, and it's so important, but I want to keep my promise because earlier in the show, I promised I would tell you about two data privacy laws and I only told you about one so far. So coming back to what's going on in New York City is the Tenant Data Privacy Act. And this has great implications for tenants and for landlords. Now, this applies to what we call Class A multiple dwelling. A Class A multiple dwelling is really just a three-family and bigger. So unless if you're renting a single-family home or a two-family, this law is going to apply really across the board in New York City. Now, this applies for smart access buildings. So for a brand-new building with smart access features going into effect on August 1. Basically, new buildings that start with smart access on Monday, this law takes effect immediately. For buildings that have been that are current buildings but have these systems, they have until January 21, 2023. So they got a little under a year and a half to get this all together. So what are these requirements and what's going on? First of all, they deal with smart access systems. And that could be what we were talking earlier about, facial recognition, it could be fingerprints, but also it could be related to key fobs and it can be related to uh, cell phones. So we're gonna talk more about this after the break, but this has big implications across New York City.
Hey, it's Joe Piscopo. My friends over at Route 22 Toyota want me to remind you that if you're tired of dealing with dummies, get over to the state-of-the-art service facility in Hillside, New Jersey, please. Alex Kinsella has the entire team staying safe, wearing masks, socially distancing, fogging vehicles with every single service to make sure they're disinfected. At Route 22 Toyota, they always get it right. They're doing their part to stay safe. Plus, right now, Route 22 Toyota is offering qualified buyers more reasons than ever to get into a new Toyota, like 0% APR financing up to five years and zero down leases on some of your favorite toyota models call 855-621-9949 for details and make sure to tell them joe sent you 855-621-9949 to schedule a test drive and route 22 toyota will get you driving a new toyota with zero percent interest or zero down leases now that is the smart way to buy route 22 toyota route 22 west in hillside new jersey or at route 22 toyota the Tunnels to Towers Foundation, as you know, has been supporting our nation's heroes and their families since 9-11. And to mark 20 years this year, the foundation is giving 120 mortgage-free homes to Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and catastrophically injured veterans and first responders. To honor America's fallen heroes, the foundation's chairman and CEO, Frank Siller, is walking from the Pentagon to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and on to ground zero. His more than 500-mile journey through six states in 42 days begins August 1st and fittingly finishes on 9-11 at Ground Zero. It's a moving tribute. The foundation is bringing back Towers of Light to the memorials at the Pentagon and in Shanksville in September. Help America to never forget America's greatest heroes. Do good, please, in their honor. Please help out. It's only $11 a month. It goes to T2T.org. It's just like that. T, the number two, and then T.org. So proud to tell you about the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. You have helped build MyPillow into an amazing company. Now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to you. Get great discounts on all MyPillow products. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on MyPillow's mattress toppers, bed sheets, and so much more. Mike's newest product is MyPillow towels made in the USA with 100% USA cotton, offering a six-piece set of bath, hand, and washcloths in a variety of colors. Originally priced at $109.99, now for a limited time reduced to $39.99. You heard right, $39.99 with the promo code AM970. Remember, all my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Call 800 800- 651-0798 for these great specials. That's 800-651-0798. Promo code AM970. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Welcome back. We were talking about the new Tenant Data Privacy Act in New York City. We also have some callers on hold. Uh, Jay from Staten Island, just give us a few more minutes on this topic, and then we'll be coming to you. So thank you for your patience. So again, this is a new law that affects Class A multiple dwellings, any building with three or more rental units in the city of New York where they have any smart access systems. So it's not just that biometric data that we talked about before with facial recognition or fingerprints, but it could be even an old-fashioned, quote-unquote, key fob or key card or using uh, an app through your mobile phone. 
Now, what's also important about this is it's not just about access to your apartment, but it could be any access system anywhere in the building. So it could be through the front lobby. If you have like a virtual doorman, it could also be if you use that just to get into the gym or let's say to a storage area. So keep in mind, it can be, it has pretty far reaching consequences. And what happens is the landlord needs to notify the tenant with a privacy notice. They need to know what the data retention is. They need to know that the data is not being sold or shared. They need to know about parameters surrounding the tracking of tenants and how they're protecting that data. Now, this also has important consequences for security systems. If the landlord has a security system that is sort of a generic video system, but that's not used to grant entry or doesn't have really higher tech facial recognition, that's exempt, that's okay. But if you have a more sophisticated system, if you have the smart access, if it has to do with authentication, um, then um, this needs to be notified. Also, they cannot use, the landlords cannot use these higher tech systems to collect data on the tenant's internet usage. They also cannot use this to keep track of how, you're, how much you're spending on utilities. Very, very important. Um, and also, they cannot use this to lock you out of your apartment or to lock you out of access. So, for example, if let's say the gym is open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and that's the general hours, that's okay for it to be locked after 9 p.m. But what the landlord can't do is to say, Ace, for you, you're locked out at 6 p.m., and I'm using my smart system to make sure that Ace can't use the gym from 6 to 9. That would not be allowed um, under the current, uh, under this new law. Also, what's important is that um, it's limited to the type of information that they could collect. And also, the data has to be safeguarded, and then it has to be destroyed or anonymized within 90 days after it's collected. So this is limited data for limited purposes with protection, and it has to be removed within 90 days. And if a landlord violates this, again, like the other law on the biometric privacy law, there is a private right to action, meaning an individual tenant may go after the landlord. They don't need a government agency. The fees are between $200 to $1,000 per incident. But here's the kicker. You can get attorney's fees. So all those expenses the tenant incurred, they can go after the landlord for that, not just a fine. Plus, it does say that the tenants have other remedies too. So if you look for a remedy under this law, you're not precluded from looking at another remedy. So it's really important that landlords, and we have landlords of all shapes and sizes. We have some who own thousands and thousands of units, and you might have a landlord that owns just one three-family building. And technology can be a great partner to manage your property better, help tenants better, and it's really positive. But just be wary. The fact that you're a small landlord does not excuse you from making sure you have the right measures and safeguards. For existing buildings, you do have until January 1, 2023 to put your processes in order, but it is something that has to be done. It's absolutely critical, and it's the right thing to do because you're talking about really 
the most important thing to a tenant. This is their home. And there's a level of an ex and an expectation that they have some privacy within their own home. And so we need to balance amenities and security with making sure that that tenant privacy um, is protected and respected. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of new things, um, Ace. No, I love it. I love it, um, Stephen, especially for our listeners. You know, I think, you know, data protection, security, um, data breach, all of these things are so important. And, and really, when, when you're thinking about real estate, too, as it correlates to real estate, you know, folks are constantly taking a lot of this information and really targeting the next set of buyers as well, right? So it's, um, it's interesting what companies will do with all of this data intelligence and how it's going to affect real estate in the future as well. Um, but Stephen, we don't have too much time um, left on our show, but I just wanted to remind our callers, one 970 And I believe, and I'm not too sure if, let's see. I think we have Jay from Staten Island, he has a question. Yes. Hi, Steve. I listen to your program. Yeah, Jay every and we, yeah. Thank you. My question is, uh, Hi, Jay. So I have you? a tenant. I have, I have a tenant hasn't paid. I have a two-family house, uh, month-to-month lease. One of the tenants haven't paid in six months. He applied for the rental assistance. Nothing came through. He gives me a little bit here and there, $100 here and there. Haven't paid for two months. And I gave him a 90-day notice. It's a month-to-month lease. 90-day notice that I'm not renewing. My question is, should I contact uh, my lawyer to start eviction notices now or wait for the 90 days? Well, I, so a couple of things. And first, sorry going through this. Um, this two-family, do you live in the other half of the two-family or you rent out both units? No, I rent both units. You rent out both units. And you did not agree to any rental assistance. The tenant applied for and didn't get, but you didn't apply for any rental assistance or no, agree to anything I did, no. with the tenant on that, no. correct? No. Yeah. So, the, so okay. So the key thing is, if you know, to start that process, you want to give them the notice. You know, for those of you who've been longtime landlords, it used to be for a month-to-month tenant, which Jagus mentioned is, you only have to give a 30-day notice. But in 2019, a new law was passed, and if you had a long-standing tenant, you might have to give up to 90 days notice. So Correct. it's great that you're aware of it because I heard you mention 90-day notice. Um, what I would do is just to make sure that you gave the notice correctly, do consult with your attorney. Um, I always like to, if I'm sending a notice, to send it both certified return receipt and first-class mail. Send it both ways. The reason is, if you have a certified return receipt, nobody can question that they received it. But if you also send it first-class mail, the law presumes that they've gotten it, and sometimes you do have tenants who may not want to sign that receipt. So I always recommend doing it both, but it sounds like you understand what's going on. But I do recommend at least have a quick yes. conversation with your attorney. Let them know yes. that what's pl- being planned and you get a sense of how long the courts are running and to just make sure that there's no technical error. Good luck, Jay. Yes. I did, I did uh, give it to him personally. He does acknowledge it, that he does plan to move, he says. But. He's waiting for the assistance, the government assistance, to, to be given to the landlords. But so far, nothing came through. But uh, I'm, I'm going to proceed. I stay with the 90-day notice. Well, 
I will consult with my attorney in that respect. Yeah, well, I know it's it's a tough business decision, and, and good luck. And I hope um, Thank you. you know at least you can get things working out soon with with a, with a solid tenant. Um, Thank you, Jay. And only because we have about two minutes left, I think we have another caller, Sid. We have another caller, Sid. Uh, Hello? I think it's in regards to his appraisal for his co-op. So, Sid, are you on the line? Yes. Hi, Sid. Please go ahead, because we're we're near the end, so I want to make sure we can answer your question. Okay, well... You know, we only have a couple minutes left. I know he's had a question about his appraisal, so I think maybe it's a good way to end just a couple of quick bullet points on appraisals. Uh, Ace, you know, a couple of things that you're seeing um, in in the appraisal process for loans. Yeah, I I can tell you right now, um, you know, with the onslaught of refinances and purchases, uh, appraisals are, are, are something that's in demand right now. And and I think, you know, everybody needs to remember that an appraisal is still an opinion at the end of the day uh, from the appraiser. So as much um, sort of information you can provide the appraisers when they're coming to the home and look, they're, they're going to look at different comps in the area to, to really look at what your home value is. But at the end of the day, you know, how you actually, um, your improvements in your home things of that nature that the appraiser may want to know how much you've spent would be good information to provide to the appraiser um, if they're coming to to the home to inspect things of that nature. But again, appraiser is is somewhat based on opinion and um, it's 50% facts in terms of material and um, statistics that they can pull up and 50% pretty much opinion. So that's why there's always uh, more than one uh, appraiser sometimes when it's above one and a half million dollars, right? When you're taking out a loan. So, but that's really my comments as it pertains to appraisers. Uh, for a co-op, um, they will be looking at other other comps in the building. You know, they may take some information from the board, things of that nature. So, um, but that's that's my my take on on appraisals in the marketplace today. What about yourself, yeah. Stephen? Yeah, specifically on co-ops, having a good property management can make or break the difference because banks do have a questionnaire. And if they answer that sloppily or incorrectly, then um, it can cause a problem. But with that, we're out of time. Thank you again for joining me, Stephen Ebert, Ace Watana Suparp, and Dottie Herman for Ion Real Estate. Ion Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.